Our reading for our sermon this morning is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Here we see Moses speaking to the people of Israel. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of our Lord. So you are gathered around Moses, your fair leader for decades and decades and decades And you're listening to him talk to you, and you realize you are on the precipice of something huge. You're about to walk into the land that was promised to you and to your parents and to their parents, going all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Feels like an eternity. And maybe there was part of you that thought this day was never going to come. You thought you would just keep wandering and wandering and wandering, and then you would just die. But sure enough, here it is today. And you're listening to Moses. But as you're listening to Moses, you realize something. That as Moses is speaking these words to you, he will not be coming in to the promised land at your side. And maybe you remember back to when that all went down. When you as the Israelites complained to Moses over and over again, saying, you're just going to let us die out here in the wilderness. Moses finally had the last straw. He got angry. He got prideful. He struck the rock that God had told him to speak to, and water came forth. And God said, Moses, I forgive you, but you're not going to enter the promised land. And so here you are today, knowing that this is Moses' last will and testament, Moses' swan song to you, and this is what he decides to tell you. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Choose life. Easy enough, right? Choose life. Amen. Let's go out into the the Welcome Center and grab cookies. Choose life. It's an easy one. And you have to think there were probably people that were sitting there listening to Moses that went, yeah, easy, life with God, not tough. Because they had seen God work his miracles among them. 
They knew about that story of Pharaoh's army getting crushed by the Red Sea, seeing the almighty power of God protecting and defending them. They had seen those snakes come into their camp, bite them with their poisonous venom, and God saved them through a bronze snake. There had to have been moments where it felt like for the Israelites that they were eating out of the very hand of God when they got to eat the manna off the ground that he would send every night and drink water out of a rock. They had seen all of the external signs. They had seen God with them in every single way you could possibly imagine. So you would think every man, woman, and child there would say, Yup, sign me up for life with this God. So why does Moses put the choice out there? If it's such a simple question, if the answer is so unbelievably easy, why, why would Moses ask it? Why would he put life or death on the table? Why, why is it even a question? Since moving to Aiken, South Carolina, I've been trying to do these new things. I've, I've been trying to form new habits in my life. And one of those habits is taking a walk or a jog after dinner every night. And so oftentimes it'll happen that, that dinner ends and, and we watch an episode of Netflix and, and that episode ends and Jamie will get up and she'll, she'll go walk over to the stationary bike and she'll go, Simeon, are you going to go for a jog or a walk? And my answer, eh. Maybe not tonight. <laughs> Jamie knows it's good for me. I know it's good for me. I know it's good for my health. I know it's good for my sleep. I know that it is good for me in just about every conceivable way. And then I look at another episode of Netflix. Could I find any benefits? Not too many. Another handful of chips. No benefits there. And yet, the jog gets trounced at least once a week. Why? Well, I suppose one of those things is more comfortable than the other. One of those things is just a tad easier. One of those things just seems better than the other one, even when it's not. And so that's what the people of Israel are facing that day. They're looking at a God who has proven himself time and time again in their lives, even though he didn't have to prove himself to them. They're given this simple choice, and yet God knows that many of them in that generation and in the generations to follow would go, eh, I don't necessarily need life with this God. Maybe a little boring too mundane. Yeah, this God has been our God for a while, but it seems as if my life isn't quite as comfortable as those around me. They were about to walk into the land of Canaan, and, and maybe they were going to see some people that were worshiping other gods whose life was going just fine, whose life was easier, whose life was more comfortable. Did they have any good reason to abandon God? Absolutely not. They just had a handful of reasons that were terrible. But that's the thing about sinful nature, isn't it? It doesn't need a good reason to abandon God. It just needs 
a couple of really, really terrible ones. And that's what we see in the people of Israel in our own lives. There are times where I think it feels as if we are trying to do a little bit of a balancing act. We try to reach up to God and we try to hang on to him, but we say, okay, but God, with the other hand, I really want to cling to some of the, some of the sins that I really enjoy in my life. And God says, that's not going to work. There is a cost to following me, and that cost is taking those things that our sinful nature loves and are comfortable with and putting them down and picking up those things that the, things that the sinful nature hates and is completely uncomfortable with. Moses speaks to the people of Israel and says, But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. There would be people over the course of the next generations that would hear that covenant from God that says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and say, no. Baal and Asherah, those gods of the people in the land of Canaan, those, those gods are for me. Those gods act how I think a god should act. I do something for that god, that god does something for me. That makes sense. There would be people that look at God and, and how he works in his own way that is far above our way of knowing how God should work and say, you know what, I'd rather have a God that works the way I want him to. They get bored with his love. And finally, they would say, you know what, life with this God seems worse than death and destruction without him. And that's what we'll see. Generations and generations of Israelites that would turn their back on God, turn their back on his love in the times of the judges, in the times of the kings, that would turn their back and face destruction. All because they were skeptical, skeptical of a God that loved them. I think sometimes we, we show a good amount of skepticism towards God, don't we? We look at the world around us and how God created it, and then we look at other people living in this world without him and say, God, are you holding out on me? God, maybe if your standard were just a little bit lower, maybe my life would be easier. Maybe if you were a little more okay with some of these sins, maybe, maybe I'd be happier and more confident. God makes that covenant to us. He says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and it's going to be great. And we say, counteroffer. Counteroffer. How about you be our God and, and we'll obey you. But then when it comes to the things that I want to do in my private, personal life, those, those sixth commandment things that, I, that aren't really hurting the people around me, God, how about you look the other way on that? God, you will be our God and we will be your people. That sounds really great. But when it comes to those fourth commandment things, when it comes to authorities and people that have been placed in my life that I don't really care too much for, could you please look the other way when I use disparaging language about them? That's a fair trade, right? God promises that he's going to be our God and we'll be his people. And we say, no. Nah. We don't need that God. We don't need the God that puts his thumb on top of us. 
We say, God, we'll walk with you 98% of the way. I promise, we'll walk together 98% of the way. But that 2% of the Bible that people don't really like anymore in our society, that is controversial, that makes people think I'm weird, God, please don't make me walk with you on that 2%. I'll do the other 98%, but please don't make me do that. And God says, no, it's all or nothing. There are times where where we find ourselves treating God's word like it's kind of a buffet. We walk by and we go, ooh, that looks very nice. I'll put that on my plate and that looks nice and nope, that doesn't look very good. And, And so we take the things we want and we leave some of those other things right there on the buffet and God says that's not how this works. We read these words about loving God and obeying him and hearing his word and we realize just how often we don't necessarily want anything to do with that, God. And say we, so we say, you know what, God? You go ahead and keep your life with you. I kind of want to do things my way. You know, when God gave those laws to the people of Israel through Moses, he didn't give them to them so that they could stack themselves up next to it and go, yep, I've kept all of these laws, and now I'm okay with God. He gave it to them so that they would look at those laws and realize, I have nothing to offer you, God. And they would find themselves in despair, reading to the middle of verse 20 of our reading for today, when God says to them, for the Lord is your life. The Israelites keeping up their end of the bargain, that wasn't what was going to save them. God keeping up his end of the bargain. God continually remaining with them. That's what was going to save them. Throughout those next generations, they wouldn't know what the Savior was going to look like or when the Savior was coming. But one thing they could be absolutely certain of is that their merciful Father in heaven was 100% absolutely going to make good on his promise to show loving mercy to them. That promise that was made in the Garden of Eden that Jesus reiterated when he said it is finished on the cross to that very promise that we hear today that God is our life. In his loving mercy, he says, you will not fend for yourself. You will not procure life for yourself. I'll be your life. I will be your everything. I will be your salvation. You don't need to go out and look or hunt for or try to work at anything. Because I'm your life. That's the comfort that we get to carry into this life. A comfort that is unlike any other we could possibly imagine. I think there are times that we take the work of God for granted. But sometimes we don't look at the cross or that empty tomb where we see that our life is inextricably, completely, utterly attached to the life of our God. Because Jesus lives, we also will live. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we also will be raised from the dead. Because Jesus lives in eternity, we also have eternity with him. Eternal life is ours. Spiritual life with God right now is ours. We get to walk through this life obeying him, listening to his word, and loving him with our whole hearts because he gave us that faith that gives us the ability to do so.
You know, the people of Israel got to see the hand of God intervening in space and time for them in some really incredible, miraculous ways. They got to see Pharaoh's army destroyed. They got to see the manna. They got to see the water from the rock. They got to see the bronze snake. They got to see God being very active in preserving them both physically and spiritually. And I think we sometimes miss that. We sometimes think that, that our God is just up there and he, he hears our prayers and he listens to us. But for the most part, he just steps back and watches it happen. Brothers and sisters, if that is your image of God today, let that die today. Because your God is active in your life. Your Savior is working in your heart. He is intervening to make sure that you are kept safe and sound both physically and spiritually every single step of the way. And when the devil, the world, and our sinful nature rise up and try to pull us away from God and try to tempt us and say that a life without God is better than a life with God, that is when the Holy Spirit goes to battle for you. He works in your heart. He works against the forces that would try to pull you away from him. And he promises you through his word that he is never going to leave you and he's never going to forsake you. That's what our God does for us. And then he gives us this law. He says, love and obey me. And the law isn't a burden for the Christian. For us Christians, the law of God is something that we keep out of joy in our heart. It's not something that's, that's difficult or, or oppressive for us. It's not something that, that sucks the fun out of life or anything like that. When God gave the law to the people of Israel, he did it in order to protect them. To constantly remind them of all of the times they fell short, yes, but also to protect them from the things around them that would seek to take their faith away from them. He does those same two things in our lives. He calls us to listen to his word to obey his law because his law is what's best for us. Because he looks at all of the blessings that he's given to us in life, the, the blessings of property, of, of life, of sex, of, of good reputations, he looks at all of those blessings that he's given to us and he says, I know how best to use these. And so he gives us the commandments in order to show us how best to use them. But thankfully he doesn't finish there. He says, even in those moments when we fall short, when we realize that every single one of those commandments lays broken, he comes back with verse 20 and says, Fear not, for the Lord is your life. Brothers and sisters, what will it be? Life with God, death without God. Peace and prosperity, destruction or adversity. Thank God. God, it's not that difficult of a choice. Take time tonight to thank God that he has granted you with the faith that says, God, you are my God and I will never leave you. And then rest in the assurance that he is your life and that he's not going anywhere. Amen.